You're listening to the Concession Stand Podcast on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. From movies and tech to WWE and video games, come let your geek flag fly with your hosts, Nick Howe and Andy Nelson. This is episode number 25, and I'm your host, Nick Howell. With me, as always, in Lego form, at Mr. Andy Nelson. How are you, sir? Uh, uh, Bricktastic. <laughs> uh, uh, episode 25. My favorite number 25 was probably Mark McGuire. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got a bit of a, a controversy cloud, yeah, cloud, cloud over his head uh, but uh yeah my favorite number 25 was mr mark mcguire and i will give him a stone cold salute i said give me a hell yeah uh, all right so some quick updates uh this week because there's been some stuff going on and i wanted to update everybody on on what's going on so i've been looking at some analytics andy been looking at some numbers and I've noticed that uh, a lot of our listeners are coming in directly through what we call the podcatchers, uh, the apps. So that's the iTunes app, the Android, um, various ones for Android that are out there. But not a lot of people are going to the website. And I noticed, um, looking at the analytics, that the reason I was uh, we always put the show notes up there, right? And I thought, you know, if nobody's going to the site, well, we, I really wanted this. When we started this, I wanted it to be an interactive kind of community. I wanted people to ha- uh, engage us in conversations about the topics that we talked about. Uh, but we're not getting that off the website. So here's what I want to do. Uh, and this is for all you listeners as well. For every, every item that Andy and I talk about on the show here, uh, I'm going to create a post uh, with that article on our Facebook page. And really what that solves is the problem of it's a direct conversation about that particular item, and it gives us the ability to uh, you know, converse with our fans and with our, our audience uh, about that particular topic. So short of just putting a bunch of text bullet points like we have been doing traditionally, I think this might give us a little bit more of a, um, uh, an interactive community around that stuff. So what I would say is make sure you like us over uh, – you can just search Facebook for Orbital Jigsaw, like the page – and uh, come and give us a comment or a like or anything, um, and be sure and engage with us, because we watch that religiously, and I definitely want people to uh, to give us their feedback on a certain thing. Oh, you suck. That doesn't. That's not how that works. And uh, That's you know, fine. Go be ahead. Be the keyboard warrior. Yeah, come tell us what you think. That's great. Know? Yeah, and you know we give our Twitter uh, handles at the end, too, and that's a, certainly another thing you can, you can message us directly about what you think. And uh, we, we definitely want to make this interactive because we we enjoy doing it, but we also enjoy getting feedback. And we get some feedback from some people that we know locally that listen, but mm-hmm. we know that there's people around the country that listen as well. Around the world. There's some guys in England that That's I know right. that are listening. That's so right. So there you uh, go. Yeah. Australian guys. Uh, shout out to you guys as well that are, that are listening. Won't mention any names, but uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your patronage, for your listenership. Uh, some other things. Um, look, I don't, I don't want to do this too often, kind of pat ourselves on the back, but we do have some really cool, important things that are that are happening in the next couple of weeks here. Um, so Andy is very uh, entrenched in in Hollywood, uh, and his our circle of friends is very much men, men and women about town here in Hollywood. And uh, he and I, Andy and I both have films, um, specifically your brother, but you were a part of it, 
have films that are going to be in the Los Angeles Real Independent. That's R E E L. Yep. Independent Film Festival here in the ne- over the next couple of weeks. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit about Mercy Christmas and what the premise is there? So, Mercy Christmas is uh, a film that my brother directed. He wrote it with his wife and uh, their friend Tarquin uh, Alexander. Also helped them produce it. Uh, it is a story of a guy who uh, goes to a Christmas dinner but may actually become Christmas dinner. That's all I will say about it. <laughs> so it's a dark uh, horror comedy. And, kind of that uh, black comedy yeah, kind of it's, stuff. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun. I have not seen the finished product. I, I worked on it with them uh, last December. Uh, this is a feature-length film. Uh, I think it runs close to 90 minutes. And they made it into the uh, this film festival that we just talked about, and you and I are going to go see it on Monday, February twentieth, President's Day. Yes, uh, we we get to see it on a big screen in downtown LA, and I'm excited for my brother and Beth, his wife, and uh, I hope nothing but the best for them. I was excited to be a part of it, but I'm more excited for them. Oh yeah, uh, and you get you uh, you did something that's going to show up in this film festival as well, right? Uh, I did, and it's kind of been ten years in the making, um, and it, it kind of came out of nowhere. To shout out to the the writer director and also one of the uh, supporting roles in the film, Chris O'Neill, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, a film called Absolute Debauchery, <laughs> and it's you know you can take it from the title. Basically, uh, in order to get away clean, they're going to have to get dirty. Ooh. And it's really one of these uh, L.A. neon noir kind of underground crime dramas. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's kind of a caper film as well. Uh, but for me personally, it was me. I first arrived in Los Angeles. Um, you know, kind of a, a tech guy. I didn't come out here for the industry like a lot of people do. And it was, I geeked out over the camera the day that it showed up. And I was like, hey, can I run the camera for you? So off we went for about 10 days running and gunning through Los Angeles and even Las Vegas, uh, shooting guerrilla style with nothing more than a, it was a Canon XHA1 and a monopod. And the story, the, the, the story ended up, um, kind of sitting on the shelf for a while as we, as we needed technology to progress a little bit before we had a finished product. And that's really what it came down to. So Chris has gone through and seen through to the uh, post-production, and it was accepted into the film festival, and really excited about that. Hopefully, it's the first of many. So seeing that on uh, February 23rd in Los Angeles. So right on. If anybody's interested in seeing either of the films or any of the other ones, please support your local indie guys, especially if you're here in L.A., and uh, go see some of these films because a lot of work goes into them. Yeah, and it, there's something to be said. You know, uh, there's it's a personal project it's with family and friends and that makes it that much more special mm-hmm. for us um we watch tons of movies and shows but these are very very special to us so oh, we yeah. just wanted to make a point of referencing those on our show uh last week we talked about board games and yes. uh, we got a lot of feedback about that um and we didn't really know too much about the current board game landscape we talked about some of the ones that we knew about and more of the evolution of digital board games uh, from uh, tabletop board games, uh, you came up with like a list of a couple that we might want to try out, right? Absolutely. So uh, off the back of that one, I went, out, I went out and did a little bit of research and looking into this, and it turns out that there's a lot happening in the tabletop and, and, and board game world right now. So one of my favorite, all, one of a lot of people's all-time favorite video games is the Dark Souls yep. series, right? And it turns out they're coming out with a board game for it in 2017, this year. Cool. Uh, that's one I'm definitely looking for. There's another one called Near and Far, that is getting rave critical acclaim and is one of the most anticipated games, not just board games, all around games coming out in 2017. So definitely look that one up. I'll put a link to it uh, over to all of these in the show in the on the Facebook page for you guys. Um, Bears versus Babies. <laughs> this is an ex- uh, an, a new expansion set for the Exploding Kittens card game, <laughs> much in the akin to the same Cards Against Humanity vein. 
uh, kind of world. Um, but this is the first one from the guys that did the oatmeal. Um, that cart- funny, very popular cartoon. They had a game called Exploding Kittens. Uh, this is their first expansion. And uh, last one is uh, Massive Darkness is the name of it. And what this is touted as is it's Dungeons and Dragons without the graph paper ah. and, and that stuff. So they build all of that stuff into the game for you. Cool. And you don't have to be like a dungeon master and know all of the lore and all of the spells, but all of that is presented to you there. So it's a little bit more of a digestible or easy ease of entry into the space. Um, so that's one. So those are the kind of the top ones I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, and I think they could be really good. I, I would love to play some of those. I think we could take some of those to the bar maybe and get some games going. Maybe have a game night at the bar. Oh. Maybe we could talk the guys into that. Yeah, perhaps. Hey, we went to the movie theater this weekend because a couple of big ones came out. Um, I didn't say it on the show, but I predicted that last weekend was going to be a very big weekend. Yes. Uh, it was Valentine's Day weekend. Typically, couples and other people like to go out to the movies, and there were three big movies that came out that kind of appealed to all three sort of demographics so the kid movie of course was lego batman mm-hmm. we'll talk about that in a second the romance movie was 50 shades of whatever getting strapped to a car and right. beaten with a whatever and then the <laughs> speaking of beating people uh the super violent movie that came out was john wick 2 uh so let's start with uh, i didn't see the middle one <laughs> let's start with nope. lego batman we did go sunday uh you came down my buddy brad came down we went uh to our local movie theater with my two kids it was Literally just a ton of fun. I, I I would say it's not as good as the original Lego movie, but I man, agree with that. it was it was a great time. And if you were a fan of Batman, they nailed it. And they made so many references to all the different Batman movies. Like the 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 Lego Bane had like the voice, like the Tom Hardy bad voice, and uh, yeah, I loved the call out to uh, pr- the Prince song with the, yeah. the, from the original Batman film yeah. with the parade. At yeah, the end. don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, yeah if, if you like Batman, if you like Legos, and who doesn't, uh, go see it. If you don't, please please turn the show off because you all <laughs> yeah. need you're listening to the wrong show. Um, no, so I want to start with the good. Will Arnett, fantastic. Yep. Um, all of the other characters, Rosario Dawson was in there, fantastic. Yep. All of that stuff was great. Um. I think I, I had a nice long hour hour long trip in traffic home uh, to to digest what I had just been through. Uh, I I will admit that I dropped off, I dozed off two or three times throughout the film, and I th- that wasn't because I was tired. I think it was just an assault on all of my senses. And I think I told you guys it was kind of like speedballing an eight ball of cocaine, and just because it's just in your face, just, <laughs> jump cuts and moving it, motion around all the way, <laughs> yeah. and it's great for kids. But I just, oh, God, I couldn't take it. it yeah. just fell off because yeah. I was overload. Uh, I, I didn't have that reaction. I just <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Disclaimer, I have never done cocaine. Yeah. just wanted to say it. But I, I imagine that that's what the experience is like. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know how to follow that up ex- <laughs> except to say that uh, I went uh, a couple days ago by myself and I saw John Wick 2. Um, I had not seen John Wick 1 until a couple of weeks ago, and I loved it. Uh, if you liked the first one, and if you have not seen the first one, go see the first one first. You kind of need to see it. It sort of sets up sort is of like... Is it sequential like that? Yeah, it is. It okay. is. It definitely... I mean, it's John Wick Chapter 2, so you, it, it would help if you've seen the first movie to kind of understand the sort of like rules of this sort of uh, assassin world that he comes from. Uh, it... It is definitely like they they got a little bit more money and the 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 locations are bigger the fight scenes are bigger uh, the gunplay is amazing it's exactly what you want it's a full in your face high octane action movie nice a lot of fun Keanu Reeves is just he kills it again and uh, it's a simple movie but it's a simple good movie you yeah. know if you just want to go see big guns and people getting shot and like in a really cool like kind of karate way 
Gunfu, as they call it. Gunfu, yes. Yeah, go see it. It is amazing. So, I had diabolical plans to sneak into it after we saw Lego Batman, uh, but after the assault on my senses of Lego Batman, I just I I, I went home because I just I wasn't going to risk falling asleep in that one too. Yeah. Hey, now that we're talking about it, let's talk about some more TV and movies. I don't know whether to be excited or frustrated that Halloween is getting rebooted again. And I want to say this very carefully because I absolutely love horror movies. It is it is right up there with my favorite genre of films. And I mean sci-fi and horror are kind of the top of the world for me. I love Halloween is sacred, especially John Carpenter's Halloween. It is it was arguably the first best. Yeah. Uh, of the Hall- of the of the horror film you know, those kind of movies. It's already been done several times. Zombies was a, a, a travesty. The Rob Zombie version? Rob Zombie version was horrible. And the second one was a little bit better. I'll give him credit there because to get into the backstory and all that, but most people just hate it. Didn't bother. I didn't bother. I didn't care. But I, the fact that the guy that did Pineapple Express and friggin' Danny McBride have been tasked to do this are terrifying to me as terrifying as michael myers is himself but i will say this john carpenter is on board and he he is said to be legitimately impressed with the idea that they pitched to him okay that gives me a little bit of ease a little bit of comfort because if the master of horror himself has said okay you you made the thing that is probably my all-time favorite horror movie um if you said it's okay, uh, I'm going to trust you, Mr. Carpenter, because, but, but I got to tell you, I got a lot of skepticism about McBride and Gordon being all over Gordon green being all over this one. I'm okay with it. Um, I'm a fan of both of those guys. Uh, I think David Gordon green's a really good director. Um, he went to my brother's school. <laughs> uh, Does so that make him a good director? No, but uh, <laughs> his early, his early two films, the ones that you really could put him on the map were really, uh, really good. And I really liked uh, Pineapple Express. What was the other one besides Pineapple Express? Uh, which that he's done. Yeah, he did George Washington. He did uh, what was the other one? The second one that he did, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, they were more artsy films, and he's uh, again, he's just a really good director. Um, I feel like those guys will take that property and be respectful of it. And if it if it is a true reboot where it's dark, there might be some comedic elements to it with Danny yeah. McBride involved, but I don't think it'll be over the top because um, I think he would respect the source material too. Again, all speculation on our part, but... I just don't want to turn into Halloween bound and down, I guess, is the, it just with Danny McBride and his <laughs> yeah. mullet. You know? yeah. Well, at least it won't be the Rob Zombie version. Uh, That's fair. all I care about. Fair point. Which I never saw and I won't, but there you go. <sighs> You're not missing much. Anyway, um... Something big is happening with if you're if you have cable and you watch the Spike Network. It was originally built and touted. It was supposed to be the the penis of cable networks. <laughs> it was supposed to be just manliness in, embodied, right? It was supposed to be all action films and sci-fi films and all of these kinds of shows, right? But let's not forget that it was originally the Nashville Network, that's and true. then it was just TNN. And, TNN, and, and for a while, wrestling was on it. Uh, that's true. That's fair. But it, it eventually evolved into this right. kind of just. Giant penis, yeah. right? Uh, a lot of things are getting shaken up over at Viacom, which is the parent company of, of this and other things, namely Paramount. Yep. All of the Paramount properties fall under Viacom, right? So there is a huge restructure, reorg, rebrand, reboot of Viacom that's happening, and this involves Spike. So Spike is going to be renamed to the Paramount Network. Ooh, 
What that means, I don't really know. But what it entails is that uh, they now have access to Paramount Studios, Paramount Pictures. Uh, this also includes MTV. Um, so this whole Viacom rebrand not only is talking about Spike changing its name, but we're also talking about the rebooting of potentially MTV, Paramount Pictures, getting another a boost. We might see some more original content come out of the studio, Paramount Studio, if it's going to be the Paramount Network. Yep. Maybe we get some original content for the TV or the app or whatever. Um, so that's kind of big news. I'm anxious to see what they do with this. This is kind of breaking up this or coming out this week. Um, but it, it, stay tuned. Watch this space because I think we could get some big stuff out of Viacom in the next couple of years. Hey, you know what else has gotten a spike recently? Mm. The WWE Network, uh, the uh, internet-based $9.99 a month deal. All right. I'm just going to throw some numbers real quick past you. Yep. Uh, they streamed 294 million hours in last year. Uh, they had 300 hours of original content, not just their wrestling programs, but like actual shows that they make. Yep. Uh, 2,500 hours of archive content, which would just be like old wrestling, whatever. Their library now stands at 7,000 hours of stuff that you can watch. And they have available one- for the price of. Nine ninety nine a month. Nine ninety nine, which includes all their pay per views, as we've said, you know, on, on this show for a long time. They have a million and a half subscribers, which is up, uh, what twenty five percent, I guess. Yep. So uh, big time. So yes, the the wrestling is still on the two the two SmackDown and Raw shows are still on, but this network thing is really kind of I think started to to get to where they wanted it to be, and again, that's yep. part of the streaming thing, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, but yeah, there you uh, go. My whole take on this is it did not take off like a rocket ship, like they wanted it to. And, and this is kind of the brainchild of, of Hunter, of Triple H, as far, from what I understand. Uh, and him and Stephanie sold the idea at events okay. uh, to go and do this kind of streaming version of this. And I've had this speculation for a long time that eventually they're going to separate from the cable networks and go fully exclusive on the WWE network. It would make sense. The reason that they, I, I think, this is my opinion, right? I think they haven't done that because the network didn't take off the way that it did. Yeah. So the last couple of years that it's been around, we've seen kind of... Not dwindling, but meager kind of growth. I think the last year, 25% growth is just the beginning. I think this is going to explode and continue to fund them for more original content. Uh, We've got actual podcasts and talk shows and all this other stuff that's starting to appear on there now, above and beyond all the other stuff. So uh, I think this is just the beginning, and my hope is that uh, as a cord cutter, I don't have to go and get Hulu or a cable subscription to be able to watch versions of WWE content in the future, I think they are laying the groundwork for what will be their own cable channel, essentially, going forward. I think you're probably right. Hey, uh, we can't go uh, too long without doing at least some sort of Star Wars Last Jedi <laughs> uh, thing. Okay, so there's some... Spec- the hype train rolls on. Yes, here we go. So this week, there was some speculation that, get this one, that uh, Benicio Del Toro is in the movie, right? Yes. So there is speculation that he is going to be Ray's father... But he's actually also going to be Ezra Bridger, the character from Star Wars Rebels. A little kid? Yeah. He's a little kid. They, they pull a full George Lucas on this. Remember Ezra from <laughs> episode eight? Now he's old. Now, he, you can, now you can see him as a little kid. But he's raised dad. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Star Wars time. Tell me where this comes from. What, what is, where, is, where are they drawing the lines to connect the dots well, there's, to make well, so, this so, Okay, so Ray is a, a force-powered somebody. Sure. We, we can only speculate, right? right? Um, so she would have had to have had in theory, like force aware parents, maybe if that, in that current thing, force aware semen, maybe I, I don't know. Sure. I don't know if there's midichlorians involved. That's way too, whatever, but way too Lucas. Sure. Uh, this is not Lucas, but they, I guess if you, if you, uh, they, 
they've speculated that the, the timing wise and the age of all this would all kind of make sense. So yeah. whether or not it's true, it's a kind of a fun thing to kind of think like, oh, that would be kind of cool if that was Ezra. But, you know, then I guess, would he be the last Jedi? Would he be? I don't know. But there's your Star Wars weekly thing. So does that break down the the hopes I think people might have off of episode seven that Ray is Luke's kid? I, that's still yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We, like we're we're so close to knowing the answer to this. <laughs> we're going to speculate it about it, like we said for for another what? I guess it's ten months now. Oh yeah. And I, I think the trailer's either coming in a month on Beauty and the Beast, or it'll come at Star Wars Celebration in April. But uh, we might get a little bit of a, a hint there. But this is going to be a major plot point that they're not going to reveal in a preview. All right, Disney is about to take charge potentially of its digital empire and streaming. Now, what does that mean? Uh, to me, this has massive implications, and I want to save a little bit of this for later. You're going to hear a, a running theme of streaming stuff uh, throughout this show, this episode. Um, I think this has massive implications. Basically, what they're doing is they're saying, why are we paying all these other companies billions of dollars uh, to, or, or getting, we're selling our rights to our content to these other providers, uh, whether it's cable channels or whether it's other streaming services, to host our content? We're freaking Disney. Yeah. We don't need that. We made $7 billion last year. What? Yeah. So I, why can't we build our own thing? And they do kind of have the Disney Anywhere thing, and they've yep. got the Disney XD app. And yeah. So, but I think they could build their own network, sure. which they kind of already have, which is fun, which befuddles me a little bit that they haven't really done this yet. Um, but I think they could, much like WWE is doing with their network, they could have a Disney network. Yeah, that just has all their movies and their shows and all that. a month. Sure. And I mean, they own everything now. Wouldn't That would also technically... They, they have all the Lucasfilm stuff. Couldn't that technically include ABC and ESPN as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it could. And, and I think there's a, there's a part of that that is ESPN being kind of churned as well. Like, sure. I think people are tired of what they've been doing on ESPN for the last 20 years. Yeah. And I, me included, right? I don't watch SportsCenter. Like, it used to be religious yeah. for me to get up in the morning, eat a bagel, and watch SportsCenter before I went to high school right, in the early 90s. Sure. And it was – I don't do that anymore. No. Now I'll, I'll turn ESPN on when there's a college football game or a college basketball game or something on – ESPN, right? Or we, the NFL. We've talked about that. You don't need it for scores anymore. You can get that on your phone, right. your your apps for your individual sports or your individual team. You just need to know like that kind of stuff. You don't need to go to watch an hour show to wait for that one highlight to come up. You can just get the highlight right away. But uh, I think if Disney absorbed, reabsorbed all of these other kind of child networks that they've got, that they've purchased over the years, and I throw Lucasfilm into that as well, they could have an entire lineup of content, on-demand content you know, I could see the watch ESPN stuff folding up underneath the Disney network again. Sure. So I, to me, they are kind of a tipping point. We'll talk about that later a little bit more. One more thing about Disney uh, guardians of the galaxy, I guess had a test screening and it got a perfect 100 on the test screening, which has never like, been done. It's very, very rare, but like an early test screen. Now this movie is still like three months away and to get a hundred without like any sort of extra work or anything being done on it. And they probably haven't seen a finished product yet to get a 100 score. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Not that I wasn't excited about that movie already, right. but if it's going to be that good, can't wait. We have a saying in the tech industry where we say, fuck it, ship it. Yeah. Like, enough's enough. And I think that's the perfect epitome of that. Don't touch it. If it got 100 score already, maybe polish a little bit more, but don't don't touch anything else. Speaking of don't touch it and polishing, let's talk about a Scarface reboot, apparently. I don't want to talk about a Scarface reboot. But the Coen brothers may be doing I, I, some I, sort I of work care. on it. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care either. I don't want to see it, but that's, I, I, that's a thing. It's a thing. He will never replace Al Pacino's performance as Scarface. I'm sorry. I, it, I don't even want to talk about it. Right. It's, it's, yes, it's happening. We, we, yes, they're working on a polish of the... The script's already done. They're, re, they're polishing and punching up at this point. We just talked about it. What? You said we're talking about it. We just talked about it. 
I know. All right. Uh, uh, the one more reboot that's kind of interesting, kind of off the heels of John Wick 2, and I guess in some of the press, like, you know, mm-hmm. junkets that he's done, he said, apparently Bill and Ted 3 is in development. Can oh, you no. imagine that with 50-year-old uh, Bill and Ted? <laughs> yes, I could. That'd be kind of cool. it could be really good. <laughs> yeah, and it could be. That's, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, and there's some more other old characters potentially coming back. <laughs> Kevin Smith is writing a sequel to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, with yes! the premise of that is rebooting of uh, Blunt Man and Chronic, I guess. This needs clarification. Okay, go ahead. Uh, just a little bit. Uh, so if you if you know the first Jay and Silent Bob uh, Strikes Back film, uh, basically the it's based around their they wanted to get a comic made of, they had a comic made about them called Blunt Man and Chronic. Yep. And um, they made a movie out of it. Yep. Right. They were fighting over the rights of that was the premise of the film. So now, uh, according to what Kevin Smith is writing or what he's shared on his social media stuff, uh, they are fighting over somebody that wants to reboot Blunt Man and Chronic. <laughs> so I love the paradoxical kind of irony there of him writing a sequel about a reboot of a reboot. It's it's hilarious to me, and I'm a fan of anything Kevin Smith touches. To be to be honest, so I'm in. Uh, I just uh, finish it up, shoot it. I'm looking forward to seeing it in a couple of years. Uh, one more thing on the movie side, actually two more things, but the, the second to last uh, would be IMDb, uh, the the movie site that you go to to find about facts and cast and crew and all that sort of stuff. It's a everybody knows what that is the Internet Movie Database. They are apparently uh, shutting down their message boards as of February twentieth, so next Monday. They will no longer have message boards. Now, what I mean by that is like people can't go their forums, right? So you can't go to like the two towers like uh, screen and be like, I think that uh, Aragon is the best of the fellowship people, and you know, like you can't have those like arguments <laughs> yeah. anymore on IMDb. And why do you think that is? Is it just that it takes up too much space? The, f- the fact that do they it's not like- want people like slamming their movies because uh, it's technically owned by Amazon, I, but it's not a studio. I don't know. I, I, it's I don't get why they would do it. Forums died about six years ago. Uh, the fact that they still have a forum or a message board is very, you know, uh, yeah, okay. whatever. All right. Okay. They're, they're, but what they're basically doing here is, is, is they're answering a trend where they're seeing all of these conversations now happening on their Facebook page. Harkens back to what we were talking about, my, my call to the listeners at the beginning, right? There you go, yeah. So in a way, it's uh, they're seeing all of these conversations are still happening. They're just happening on the Facebook page instead of on these forums because everybody and their mother is on Facebook. Everybody's got an account now. The problem with doing that on Facebook is it removes some of the anonymity that was so prevalent in forums. So you could be an anonymous guy without people going to look at your profile and critiquing all of your other stuff. Oh, yeah, right? good point. So there's an interesting social psychology to that stuff that yeah. I, I'm just not a fan of uh, in that sense. But, you know, forums died. They're gone. Uh, you know, the Facebook is and Twitter are the future. Or are the present. I don't know if they're the long-term future, but that's just what they're doing. Everybody's doing that now. It's it's the way of the world. One last thing on the uh, movie side that actually got me really excited, and this is a little bit of wrestling too, but uh, Bill Simmons, the uh, the famous ESPN writer that He came up ESPN. with the 30 on 30 stuff. Uh, I don't know if he came up with it, but he was definitely involved and he did the Grantland stuff, yeah. but then he had that Any Given Wednesday show on HBO and then it, it went away. But he still, I liked it. So did I, but he's still going to work with HBO and he's going to make a documentary about Andre the Giant. Fantastic. And that is like this, like he's he's like a legend and there's so many like stories and like things written about this guy that like, you know, that's the, the, just timeless and the, 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 the amount of like beers he drank in one setting and uh, the fact that Hogan never knew if he was going to be able to actually pin him in WrestleMania 3 because if Andre didn't really want to let him body slam or pin him he didn't because he was just that big yeah um, those are just a couple of stories or like maybe some stuff from him being in the Princess Bride but they're going to do a documentary about Andre the Giant I th- this is I can't wait to see like what that guy's life was like 
They're also supposed to be doing one on Ric Flair, from what That's I understand. That's 30 for 30. This is a whole separate thing. This is oh, HB- really? This is an HBO documentary. Like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so I thought this, it was a 30 for 30 no, on Andre no, no, the Giant. No, no, no. This oh. is a, this is a full-on, Have like... Have you seen the Ric Flair thing? Is that it's out not yet? It's yeah, not out yet, but I can't wait to see oh, it. Oh, man. So uh, all of that stuff. Look, those guys are legends of our childhood, and I, I can't wait. I'll watch anything that they put out about that stuff. All right, that's enough about movies. Let's uh, switch the HDMI input and play some video games. All right, so a lot of the initial content around video games this week has to do with Activision Blizzard. And basically because they had their yearly earnings uh, call this week, and a lot of stuff came out that we were not expecting. Uh, a lot of the industry was not expecting. We know Blizzard had a, a, a trophy year in 2016. Between Overwatch getting released, they had a Warcraft expansion get released, they had uh, Hearthstone. They saw the numbers come in from the King acquisition, yeah, which is Candy the, Crush. Yeah, that everybody all, plays. All of that revenue came in. Uh, basically, what happened was their analysts expected to see about a $2.35 billion revenue. What we got was a $2.45, right? Their net income rose from $159 million, get this, to $254 million. It's only about $100 million. Net. <laughs> net. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, within one day, within a 24 to 48 hour period, their stock went up 10%, which is huge off of the back of an earnings report. And again, all of that is credited to a lot of the properties that the Blizzard side of the world came out with. Now, the funny juxtaposition to that is the disappointment with Call of Duty. Space Duty. Space Duty. (laughs) Infinite Warfare, to be clear, uh, that had happened over the holiday season. So all of those properties fall under the Activision brand. Um, but I, I'm curious how they they still pulled off all these massive numbers. I'm wondering personally what a detriment was that called Space Duty was to those numbers and how much better they could have been yeah. had Space Duty been a success. And it looks like they've decided that Space Duty probably wasn't the way to go because they're going to make the next Call of Duty game go back to like World War II-ish stuff, right? And I, I don't I know think if it's I, that, but, but it's, I think they're going to go, go to more yeah. Battlefield-ish yeah. traditional warfare Maybe they stuff. saw the success of Battlefield 1 they're like, well, Call of Duty started as a World War II game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they get back to that. It could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I would love to see them incorporate other battles. Like that, we had Korea, we had Vietnam, we had uh, the Iran Contras. I yeah. mean, there's all these kinds of um, I don't know what's the word conflicts. Sure, right that you could tie into these kinds of games. Uh, I think the fact that they went to space is friggin' dumb. It's yeah. so unrelatable. It's so out there. Somebody just got a wild hair, and they just didn't think that all the way through. All right. So today is. Uh, February 15th, we are, let's see, 13 plus, 16 days away from the release of the Nintendo Switch. 16? That's two weeks? That's it? That's it. Do you feel like you know anything about this system yet? Not really. Right? Like, we know it's coming. We know Zelda's coming with it. Well, I know the... Right. That's it. (laughs) We know that they they switched the Super Bowl. Yeah. But, (laughs) but, But still, I mean... I feel like the the marketing campaign of this is like this whole secrecy thing of like what is it and what's the internet going to be like what are the specs on it like uh, I just uh, I I yes I'm getting one but still I don't know if I like this this plan of theirs what do well, you well yes I'm going to come play yours I'm sure. not, I don't know if I'm going to get one sure um, but at the end of the day I part of me wants to love the mystery of, of the of this launch right but at the end of the day they're not doing this the right way because we're still seeing the the stocking what I would call the stocking woes, right? Yeah. There's still no stock anywhere of any of the classic, the 3DS. It's impossible to buy any of these. And from what I understand, I have a theory on that. Even the pre-orders are sold out for the Switch. Is that true? Yes. yes. You can't even pre-order a Switch anymore? Nope. Two weeks out? Nope. Am I going to be able to buy one? Probably not. 
Is this going to be Apple over, all over again? I have to wait six weeks to get one? Yes, but back to what you said about the 3DS and the uh, Classic still not being available. Yeah. Now, think about this. It's, is it any coincidence that these things are not available on the shelves? Or is it, or is it the fact that like, we don't want to have you have the option to get a handheld device that we're making to compete with our own portable handheld Switch? Is that part of it? Is that part of their sort of plan? They don't want to have too many other like Nintendo items out there to like tempt you? I think if you were an evil villain, you could sit over there and twirl your mustache and go, <laughs> they'll all buy Switches if we don't sell I can, them one I can of these. twirl my mustache. I'm just not an evil villain. Right, but I, I guess the, the point is, yeah, you could make <laughs> that speculation, but I think any company just wants to make money. They don't care where it comes from. And, and I think the, the fact that they're missing out on somebody that could potentially buy all three. Yeah. It's yeah. stupid. I I agree with you. I just so stupid. I, I mean, I have I have the 3ds and I have the classic, so that's great. But like for people that don't, it sucks. It, <sighs> it's horrible. I have a 3ds. I would buy a classic if I could have gotten one. I don't give a shit anymore because I've seen yours and I, I'm not the biggest fan. But whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's I would buy a Switch. I really would if it were not four hundred dollars plus whatever the cost of the. It's gonna be a better part of six seven hundred dollars by the time you get done kidding it out with controllers and. Games and all that stuff. Yeah, it is three yeah. three hundred something dollars. Three fifty. Um, no, uh, uh, we cannot get back into that again. This no, week. we can't. Um, let's move on from that. Um, there's another game that is never that's always been sort of like this elusive thing too, and that's Half Life Three. So Valve, the maker of Half Life Two, says they're heavily investing in and VR. Team Fortress. Oh yeah, Team Fortress. Of Arguably course. one of the most influential and Portal games. and Left 4 Dead and all those like great yep. games that they make. But for some reason, they still have not announced anything about Half-Life 3, even though the world Never wants happened. that game to happen. You don't Really? You don't Never think so? Never happened. Okay. Uh, why are they getting into VR then? Because uh, they, they are very good at predicting the future. Um, they're Canadians, if I remember right. So Canadians are very smart. Chatner <laughs> um, is Canadian. So he's, <laughs> they fart a lot he, and they he, eat a lot of craft dinner, he goes, apparently. He goes so to the future. I, you know, um, no, so what Valve is working on specifically, it came out this week that they're working on three full VR titles. Huh. Three. And they are not Half-Life or Team Fortress related. Interesting. Right? So you take away those elements. Those are their two properties, that the big properties that they've ever done, right? You can throw Left 4 Dead in there, sure. But the the big thing to take away from this is that they're not doing tech demos. They're not doing any of this stuff. They are literally developing. This is the first game company I've heard say this. Um, they're developing brand new properties, full game experiences s- targeted directly at VR. That's pretty cool. And I'm excited about that. Something else I'm very excited about is, well, I'm not very excited because I want more, but uh, season three of Overwatch is going to end on February 21st. What are you going to do? Oh, no. The good news is is that I got in just in time to get my uh, skill rating up high enough to be in the gold tier, which means I get a lot of cool stuff. Yay! Mostly aesthetics. You know, we're collectors, we're game collectors, we're completionists. So I get all these cool little things for being in the gold tier, uh, mostly around badges and tags and sprays and all these other things that are involved with Overwatch. Um, I get my name on a list because I made the gold tier. Cool. Pretty pretty cool stuff. And the coolest part is that season four picks up right after a week later on February 28th. So we go right back into it. We work on our skill rating. Everything gets reset and we start from scratch. This is the part where you tell me to play my other seven qualifying games so I can join you on season four, right? You and Jared and Phonic, and okay. please, please come play Overwatch with me because it's awesome once you get past all the stuff. Calm down. There's one more thing that I'm going to tell you about that has <laughs> already made you mad, but we should at least announce it to the listeners. The, yes. the South Park Fractured Butthole game, which we were excited to come out uh, in uh, March, apparently is getting delayed. Shocker. The first one got delayed a bunch, too. 
Um, it, it's delayed again until Ubisoft's fiscal or next fiscal year, which runs between April of this year and March of next year. So sometime between April, it's kind of like the Red Dead. Yeah, thing, right? I it's hope. Like- I think it's gonna. I would imagine they'd have to have it out by the holidays, but we'll we'll see. I, I'm still excited about it. You're still excited about it. I just wish they would stop delaying it. My inner twelve year old still laughs every time I hear broken butthole, <laughs> fractured butthole, fractured butthole. All right, well, enough about that. Let's talk about some tech. Yeah, we should talk about it because apparently we're going to use our voice to make payments, right? What is that? So I go buy a quarter pounder at McDonald's, and typically I'll use the Apple Pay thing, but I now I have to do it with voice? Uh, do I have to yell into the point-of-sale system? You tell me. You're the, I, you're the tech <laughs> expert. Um, look, I, I think the this is just a next step in... Uh, mobile payments. Okay. Um, it's not going to be the end all be all. I think it's just an additional thing. I think you're going to see this evolve or manifest itself more in things like home entertainment systems. I don't think you're going to get point of sale at Ralph's or McDonald's or Target or anything. Wait a minute. So tell me, what is a voice payment? You just say I'm buying that, and it knows it's your voice. Like, what is it? I think it's a little bit to do with voice recognition. Recognition. Uh, so it voice patterns, tones, uh, all accent, all of that stuff. Um, you might have an authorization that you do by voice. Uh, maybe instead of your fingerprint, you're giving a code vocally. I honestly don't know. We're but I, just hearing about this for the first time. But I could do an impression and be like, get to the chopper. And they're like, oh, you're Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they would charge I'm him. I'm going to buy this for about three fifty. dollars <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. $3.50. $3.50. I'll give him a dollar. Okay, we can't do this again. Stop it. Uh, look, the moral of this whole story is that consumerism runs all. And people, when companies see an opportunity to monetize something, they're going to go off and try to build it. And this is the mainstays. This is the Apples, the Googles, uh, the Amazons that are really jumping on board with this. So I think that's more to come as we find out more about this, but there's not a lot out there yet. Hey, Apple did something this week where they dropped the Beats X headphones. So that's not the like the the regular Beats that go over your ears. This is like the in ear wireless Beats. Is that what this is? Well, they've always had the in ears, but they've been wired. Oh, okay. Um, I I'm not a fan of the in ears. It's weird and they fall out, and I just I don't like them. Um, I've I've more akin to the um the pods, sure. whatever the native Apple ones are. Yeah. What I would hope what the difference between these is that they're not wireless they're kind of tethered yeah so they're connected together so um you can leave them hanging around your neck or if they fall out for whatever reason they just fall on your around your neck yeah you don't lose them like in your couch cushions <laughs> exactly or walking down the sidewalk and <laughs> yeah. it falls out for whatever reason right oh no it's in the gutter no the interesting thing here is if they're they've got that tether but i think they just clip on to them so is that going to wear out are you still going to lose them or uh, what's the technological difference between these and a set of ear pods how are these Badass Beats head earbuds, different and cheaper than the actual AirPods? Uh, Apple AirPods. Ah. They've got more stuff, and they're the brand name premium Beats. Everybody that uses headphones knows that Beats are complete dog shit for what it's worth. Um, so, my, how are they cheaper? I don't know. I, I much ado about nothing as far as I'm concerned. Yes, well, all the athletes will have them because they'll be brands and they'll get them for free and all. Everybody's gonna have. That's exactly how Beats blew up in the first place because Dre was just handing them out to all the athletes and made them cool. Uh, my point is, they suck. Don't go spend 150 dollars on them, please. Just buy the native Apple AirPods. You'll probably have a better experience, and I bet you you can buy those little tethers independently. Twenty bucks or yeah. whatever it is at the Apple Store, and use that on the na- the actual AirPods themselves. Here's the problem: they're still six week back ordered. Oh, of course they are. So again, here makes people that- makes people want them more. Oh my god! Create demand, create demand. Hey, there's demand potentially for the new Sony 4K TVs. You know why? They're going to have Google Home Assistant built into them. 
Okay. This is big. Think about that for yeah. a second. Yeah. Having the home assistant built into the TV instead of having a separate device, right? Isn't that the whole idea that Apple was trying to do? Or like, or they're speculated like, hey, we're going to do the Apple TV and it's going to be something you could talk to and it would, whatever. This Sony, Sony's a big time TV manufacturer, right? Arguably one of the biggest. And they're going to have Google Home Assistant built in. That's a big deal, I think. What are your thoughts? I think this is um, the beginning of a trend that we're going to see more and more of. Uh, our friend Jared uh, recently bought a TV that had, as from TCL, I think, that had a Roku built into it which is a different kind of thing. It's replacing the set-top box. But what does having the Google Assistant built into my TV get me net-net at the end of the day? I don't know. I don't have to buy an additional device for yeah. 150 bucks, whatever they are. Um, I can talk to my TV. Is your TV always listening? Is it always on? Do I still have to use a command word? Is there a button I push on the remote? I have a million questions about this. I have more questions than I have answers, honestly. I like the idea that it's built into something instead of a separate thing. And, and, and it to could, what end, though? But it could integrate with all kinds of stuff. It could integrate it with listening YouTube. listening to what I, I say Potentially, Connect was too, and, and Alexa is. You know, I, I, Alexa probably just heard what I just said. But uh, I don't know. Bitch. I think there's there's something there about having a home assistant built into your TV because that's kind of like the that's kind of like the idea of like that whole Iron Man thing. Like you talk to your TV and your TV talks back to you and like, hey, I want to go to this thing. And like it does it. And I, I don't know. I'm just... I, I love, There's something there. I think it's beginning. I agree. I think it's an evolutionary step, sure. But I, I, I like the idea that they're consolidating hardware now. Yes. Um, what scares me about this is you get into monopolization a little bit. Google signing an exclusive deal with Sony means that you're not going to get any of the other assistants into Sony TVs. Now, if you want a particular assistant, you're going to have to buy a particular brand of TV. Yeah. So maybe LG has made a deal with... Alexa, they they yeah. have the Amazon yeah. stuff built in. What do we see? Samsung build in Siri? I don't know. Yeah. Where does all this go? What? And I asked the same question. To what end? Yeah. I don't know where all... I mean, are they going to replace Apple TVs? Are they going to replace the Rokus? Are they going to replace the Google Chromecasts? Ah. Who knows? I mean, all of this stuff, I think, is one giant consolidation effort, and this is just one step in that process. Hey, you know what? Uh, if you're waiting in an airport and you have like a, like a USB port that you can charge your phone in, should you do that? No. Why not? Under Okay. Tech guy here. 20 years in the industry uh, as a consultant, as an engineer, as an implementer, all of that stuff. Do not, and I repeat, do not take your iPhone and plug its USB cable into a public USB slot. Why? There's something on the back end that not only delivers power, but that gives someone, if, whether it's native or a hacker, the ability to suck everything that's off your, on your phone off of it and save it. Pictures, videos, documents, anything. Settings, passwords, all of that stuff, right? If, the, if someone has compromised that station, they, you are giving them full access by giving them a USB connection and unlocking your phone because you're likely standing there playing on Facebook on it. Sure. You're not just going to sit it down and walk away. Yeah. Right? You're going to stay there with it. Do not go buy a portable charger for 20 bucks. Yeah. Right? A, a battery pack. Or, or the one that came with the phone. People travel. You right. can get a Mophie case. You can get a Jackery, a Jockery uh, pack, typically, battery pack, or whatever. Typically, those stations have like the USB ports, but they also have like an actual Edison plug there too. So you should just do that. Don't just don't skip the plug portion. Is what Bingo. you're saying, right? Bingo. Do not plug your phone into a USB port that is not your computer. Period. Hard stop. Do not do it. And you could almost say the same thing for public Wi-Fi. All right. Um, because the minute you connect to the Wi-Fi and unlock your phone, you're agreeing to a terms of service that I bet if you read through that, it would fucking terrify you. 
Wow. What the, you are giving them by connecting to the wire. In order to get free Wi-Fi, you watch this ad, but there's also a, a, a lawyer document that's 20 pages long that says by agreeing to this, you give them the access to sew your mouth to someone else's butthole for you <laughs> South Park fans out there. So by agreeing to those terms of service, you don't know what you're doing, and you're giving them, them uh, permission to download or look at everything that's on your phone. Public Wi-Fi is not as treacherous do not be silly enough to plug in your USB cable into a public place. I definitely don't agree with the sewing my mouth part, but I will tell you that Chromebooks are uh, now have outsold all Mac computers combined. Can you believe that? Now let's. I can. Now, do the listeners know what a Chromebook is? Can you explain that to them? Sure. It's a take a take a simple laptop. Think yep. of a MacBook Air. Sure. That the only thing it had on it was Google Chrome. The the web browser. The web browser. Okay. Right. And everything you did was – so think of everything you do throughout the day. 90% of what people do is consume. Mm-hmm. And it's 90% of it's usually done through the web browser, some more than that, right? The great thing about Chromebooks is they've got just enough power to run a big Google Chrome instance with as many tabs as you want. So for Facebook or websites or blogs or news feeds or any of that stuff that you consume, it's kind of like an iPad. It's a consumption device, right? And you can get them for Three, four, five hundred bucks, depending on certain things, right? Si- screen sizes. The displays are absolutely beautiful. They're the same kind of quality and caliber as a Retina display on a MacBook. Um, but what, where they fall short is if you want to run like Photoshop or something like that on it. Yes, you can install it, but it's going to run like dog shit because it doesn't have the memory and the processing power to handle stuff like that, hmm. or the graphics capability, I should say. Um, so, yes, they are a great value for anybody that is just a consumer of content, plays on Facebook and Twitter, email, uh, Google Documents as yeah. a direct integration yeah, okay. with everything. Uh, the, sad, the, the downfall is, is that you can't really do anything locally. You have to be Wi-Fi connected to do most of that stuff. Um, so there is a, a sacrifice that you give up by getting to that. But at the same time, it, for the value, for three $400, absolutely. I think that cost that you said, that three four $500 thing, is probably why it outsold all the iMac, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, Mac Mini, and Mac Pro for the first time ever. Yeah. I mean, that's why. It's the price, right? And absolutely. just the ease of use and just being able to get it. And it's still kind of like a, an easy-to-use laptop, because right? Because that's people recognizing that they don't need to go, go drop two or $3,000 to browse Facebook and read Gmail. Good point. That's really what that comes down to in its simplest form. Do you think Apple will ever make a iBook like that that's that cheap they to kinda, try and compete? They it's, but have. Theirs is like a 1000 so it's like well, double the cost. Well, they've got an 899 MacBook Air, yeah. I think. It might be 799 I don't know. There's certain specs. You can you can get a very bottom-of-the-line MacBook Air 13-inch, 11-inch now, I think, as well, wow. uh, for, for around that same price range. But it's a full-blown version of the OS. It's not just a browser. Do I think Apple will ever just make a Safari book? No. No, I don't think so. I think uh, OSX is is powerful enough and efficient enough to be to run a full operating system on those. Hey, uh, let's talk about our good friends Amazon. They are apparently potentially going to buy. There, there's speculation that they might buy Macy's or 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 integrate their stuff into Macy's stores. Well, we talked a few episodes ago about how they were going to open their first brick and mortar quote unquote yeah, bookstore. Yeah, right. I'm doing air quotes. And the the idea there was that they could on the back end sell all their you know, devices that yep. they've made, yeah, the yeah, Kindles yeah. and the TVs and all that, Fire TVs. Um, I think what they're doing here is looking for a cheaper way to get brick-and-mortar locations in mass than building all their own little 
you know stores stores like having Barnes like a noble esque kind of store. are you saying like having like an amazon section at, of uh of, of macy's kind of like how there's no. a, an apple section oh what is I it think, then i there's two things at play here one they need they need places where people can return products easily even though it's yeah. piss easy to return sure. something to amazon and they're great about it you still have to get up and ship it and go to the post office and drop it off or fedex or whatever um so having foot traffic is a big deal the other thing is they want to bring in some premium brands uh, for people for point for sales, right? Not only do they want to have people give people the ability and other companies the ability to sell on Amazon, but why not have a brand like Macy's or Nordstrom's or J.C. Penney or something like that on the racks under the Amazon umbrella that oh. people could come in and buy and shop? And now they have a presence in the malls. And sure, ah. on the top of that stand with those dresses, you could have, hey, here's a Fire TV stick. There's no limit, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Where this gets interesting is look at all the companies that are failing that are doing bad right now. Sears. Yep. Uh, JC Penney. Um, there's a couple other ones that come to mind. Uh, but those are established brick-and-mortar locations that have real estate. If they went in and they just bought out Sears for whatever low value it is right now because they're pretty much done, mm-hmm. right? Um, they could go in and get a steal, and all of a sudden they've got, what, 20,000 locations around the country? Yeah. Who, who knows? All of a sudden you've got 20,000 Amazon stores and... That also have all that other stuff in it too, yeah. Yep. Under the Sears name, sure. So I think the clothing line department store thing is would be an interesting play for them to bring in some premium brands um, and also give them a, yet another vertical to get into, like fashion uh, that you wouldn't really associate yeah, Amazon it's, with. It's tough to try clothes on an Amazon. Bingo. Thank you very much. There you go. And maybe you have demo stations for all the Fire TVs and your Kindles, and you turn it into have a section that's a mini Apple store for all the Amazon products, right? Yeah. Full-blown department store in a mall. Now it says Amazon instead of Nordstrom. Imagine that for a second. And maybe if you buy these things, there would be a drone that delivers them, right? <laughs> Didn't they come up with some patent this week about Didn't drones? Didn't we talk about per- that? I know, but the super starship. Yeah, but this is a different thing. They did some sort of new. Yeah, they did some sort of new patent this week. I think I read somewhere. What was it? They had. They have officially been awarded a patent for uh, what they're calling drone delivery via parachute. Okay. <laughs> So here we go. Let's go back and recap what we talked about before. The idea was to have floating warehouses over each major (laughs) city, right? And there would be like Star Destroyers, TIE fighter drones that would fly down. Yeah, yeah. They would fly down and drop your package off at your door, right? They've taken it one step further now and said they're going to integrate parachutes into this. So the drone will drop your package at altitude. Even though it might be fine, China or whatever it is you buy off of Amazon, right? <laughs> what? Let's say you buy a fifty-five gallon drum of lube off of Amazon, right? Uh, and a drone is somehow going to carry that out and drop it with a parachute, and then based on the wind and trajectory and all of that stuff, what get, about trees? I don't know. Trees are an interesting anomaly, but they're gonna. It's gonna adjust the thing if it goes off course with like little jets or air oh bursts or something like that. <laughs> You're kidding. This is next level kind of crazy awesome stuff, and I I don't know that I would ever use this. It'll personally. never happen, but they got the patent just in case it they does. Got it. They got the patent. So if we ever get to flying cars and all that stuff, Amazon will be able to fly packages to your door or your porch or whatever. Last thing in tech, this is going to lead us into our next story or our big story for the night. But uh, there's a you, okay, so you have a, I have Fire TV, Chromecast, and Apple TV all hooked up to the same TV, and I have to change the HDMI input all the time. Yep. There's some universal box for all of these that's going to integrate all these into one box. Think of it like a like an HDMI switcher or something mm-hmm. in a way, but it's actually a, another set top box yep. called the Cavo C A A V O. It's going to consolidate all of them. Did you read about this? That's the plan. Yeah, and. and- 
I agree. It's, it's kind of like an HDMI switcher, but with the value, the added value of being able to search across all of your apps, across all of your devices that are connected to it. That's kind of cool. Now, why is this? Why did we get to this point? Well, Amazon has its own Prime exclusive stuff that right. you can't get on. Well, you yeah. can't get the Amazon stuff on your Apple TV. Right. right. Vice versa, you can't get the iTunes Store content on your Amazon Stick. Can't get Twitch on your Apple TV because it's an Amazon thing. I have the Twitch app. On your Apple I TV? I think it's a third party, though. It's not the native. Right, one. right. So you can watch Twitch streams. I've watched uh, uh, Cleet on uh, on the TV, on Apple TV. Anyway, side topic. Uh, the point of this is just to consolidate all of this. Now, once you bring them all together, you need kind of a meta search to be able to go across all of the different services that you have for each of those devices. And they are touting that they can do this with their own version of um, Alexa that they've built into the overall Android OS that manages all of these different boxes. So uh, keep a lookout for this. I'll put the link in on Facebook for you guys. I'd love to hear what you think. As many subscriptions, and we're going to talk more about this, I think, next, as many boxes and subscriptions and devices and stuff that you have, I think this could be a really big deal. The problem is it's coming out of the gate at three ninety nine. That's ridiculous. And so I don't, one, I don't another, pe- yeah, another box for 400 bucks to control all the other boxes? That just seems redundant, yeah. maybe, right? And, 50, 60 bucks to do an HDMI switcher is no big deal. Yeah. $400 for a master... Yeah, no. I still have to buy all the other boxes. You're not replacing all of those. So this is a good transition point for us. What? Look, off the back of that, that box, uh, we wanted to spend some time talking about streaming. Uh, we're calling this episode Islands in the Stream, and I think this is interesting because um, we're talking about all of the different pieces of... Con- not content, but streaming things that are out there in the world right now. And if you're not careful, it's a little bit overwhelming, Yeah. right? Uh, yes, we've spoken about cord cutting as a kind of a fundamental way of life in the past um, and a way to maybe game the system. But the irony here is that it's this is truly becoming the system. Yeah. And if we're not if you're not careful as a consumer, it's going to catch up with you and you're going to be way behind. So what we wanted to do tonight is kind of take an overview and just look at the landscape of things as they are today in the world of, of streaming content. And, and kind of as an open uh, upfront disclaimer here, we want to recognize that while music is a big part of this, we, we typically don't talk about music here on the show. Um, so we want to stick to just kind of video content, television and movies. Uh, streaming movies is Netflix. Streaming television shows is Hulu, uh, Amazon Prime, YouTube content maybe, but not really because that's more like a person talking about stuff that's yeah. different. What we're really well, we'd get- be remiss if we didn't give them a little bit of credit for kind of kicking things off yes. with YouTube, right? Right. It, the idea of just streaming video, right, is what yeah. this is. Um, but really video of, of what you would normally watch on a, on a cable or a satellite network, which we talked about. The other, another thing about YouTube and Twitch as well is that it gave, them a- it gave the networks access to an audience that they didn't maybe didn't have before. And specifically, maybe... Sp- uh, typical kinds of content that they didn't have access to before. And it showed them that people are uh, tuned in to want to watch that stuff. Right. So this, so first and foremost, we want to talk about what's the appeal to streaming video over like an Apple TV or a fire TV or whatever it is, as opposed to having a channel, like a remote and channel changing, like we grew up with what, what is the appeal to you? To me, it's, it's a little bit of control is one of the big things. Like I have always, Pined for the days of a la carte content, only paying for what I want to. And I think in a way, every cable subscriber goes a little bit nuts about this. You've got 227 bajillion channels. Uh, I only want like six of those. Yeah. 
because those have the shows that I want to watch. And you can kind of brag about it like, yeah, I get everything. Yeah, I got the whole package. Yeah, I got 672 <laughs> channels. And, look, I can watch anything, any time of day. But the ultimate thing, you never really end up watching anything. You just surf through all of that stuff, right? So uh, for me, having the control of only paying for what I want to watch when I want to watch it is one of the big pivotal things. Yeah, for me, so there's a couple things here. Again, streaming is is cool because of the, the in the current landscape, it's about saving costs from the large cable bundle and all that sort of yeah. stuff. The other thing is streaming gives you the, the ability to watch these normal shows and movies that you would watch on your television on any device, phone, tablet, a computer, whatever it is. Uh, it gives you more options of how to watch this stuff. And the only way to do that is through streaming. So give me an example of that. Is that usually driven by the kids want to watch Frozen for the 27,000th time and then you want to watch something else on your phone? Uh, okay, I'll get Because I, 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 single guy, I, I just watch everything on my TV. I don't do a lot of device streaming, I guess I would say. All right, so let's say, let's say uh, yes. So I'm we're watching the Super Bowl, right? And the girls don't care about the Super Bowl. They want to watch Frozen. So they can I can just hand them the tablet and they're watching Frozen. Or they're in the, the, the other one's watching something else on a phone. Sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, when I uh, when I lie down and I'm not asleep and my wife is asleep, I don't want to have the TV blaring really loud so I can watch a show or something I'm catching up on that maybe she doesn't watch um, on my tablet. Kind of like on you know like lying down my tablet in front of my face, so it feels like a big TV in front of my ha- in front of my head. You know. Do you see a day where you're going to replace the tablet with a VR headset laying in bed? If, if that's an option now, you could do that. You could do that, right? I mean, that'd be cool, sure. But yeah. again, that's uh, it's it's the same thing. It, it's all based on this sort of like infrastructure, right? So it's it gives it, you an independence. Uh, it's kind of device independent at, at a certain. You don't have to have that cable box, right? But the but what I'm getting at in the the infrastructure of it is is the fact that this is internet versus coax cable, mm, yes, right? Big time. So internet gives you the ability wirelessly to send stuff through your house and through the air and to your subway and yeah. to you know, like wherever you could be at the park and you have internet somehow or over your cellular network or whatever and you're watching all this sort of stuff. Yeah, right? but don't connect to public Wi-Fi, kids. The other thing, um, it's 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 kind of it's a category now that these studios and and um, uh, television networks are now recognizing that it's it's even got its own name now. It's called it, there was video on demand, mm-hmm. which was just like if you were on direct TV and you could click a button and it says like, I'm going to watch this movie now. Cause then it would send it through the satellite or right. through the cable. If like now it's streaming video on demand. Yes. Which, and I, the, this really hit home for me when I was, so I've been watching that new show, uh, grand tour that's on Amazon, which is the old top gear guys. It's Jeremy Clarkson. Who's pushing 70 as far as I know at this point, but he literally said the four letter acronym SVOD. And that was the first time I had heard, somebody referred to it just casually like that. Like I had known that it was a niche thing like sure. you were talking about before and certain it was a, but I think there's an entirely new space that's being carved out right now and it's being tagged with this SVOD streaming video on demand acronym. And one of the big things that uh, I mentioned earlier, Disney is really getting on board with this. They've come out and said they're going to get more and more aggressive about streaming video on demand and I'm speculating maybe even creating their own network. Uh, with an app that they have their own subscription service to that's outside the scope of any cable agreement that they have where you can get access to Disney anywhere or Disney XD. Right. And I think they are such a behemoth that they are going to just tip everybody into that. So then all the Comcasts and the charters and everybody's going to get on board with doing the stream. We've seen direct TV now already come out. Uh, and do that stuff, but I think Disney getting and on board there is big. It's not streaming video on demand, but it's it's that next step from like getting away from cable and that sort of like channel surfing thing. But that gives you like a streaming version of it's comfortable. Yeah, 
again, this is all about uh, not necessarily cord cutting. This is essentially just a way around the giant cable cl- and satellite conglomerates, right? Is that what this is all about? Like the streaming, basically that concept of it? Like, okay, Netflix has their, their uh, all of their stuff is streaming video on demand. No matter Everything. what, no matter what. They there is, do there the is, there is anymore, no, right? No, uh, they might, but there is no Netflix channel on your TV that you can, that exactly. you can, they can flip through. It is a, whatever, however you watch Netflix, it is going to be streamed video. Cable is a delivery mechanism. Right. Let's let's establish that. The cable subscriptions are nothing more than delivery mechanisms for all of these networks to share their programming with their audience. If if you remove or replace the delivery mechanism from a cable subscription box to a monthly subscription app, that's all that's happening here. And I, I really want to make sure that when we were talking about this before, I couldn't really hone in on that but i think yeah. i did as we talked about it throughout the show that's really what this comes down to yeah ours our, our previous conversations were all about like okay we'll co- cut the cord you don't need all these channels and you know you'll figure out a way to watch stuff this is just this is just the simple concept of what is happening and how it's happening and how the everything is just sort of moving that way those it, of us that have been early adopters for the past few years have had to figure out ways to get around certain limitations like watching live sports it's a pain in the ass that's that's really one of the biggest things. So now you've got things like the Watch ESPN app. Yeah, Disney doing its whole thing. I think could bring more prominence back to ESPN. So some of those things you have to have a subscription to, and that's yeah. that's the tricky part. You know, the Directv Now thing gives you the ability to stream video, and you mm-hmm. can stream certain channels like yes. the old way. But again, it's stream it anywhere. It gives you it's that freedom of you don't have to be sitting on your couch. But they've all they've done is. Um, Change the delivery mechanism. Yes. You're getting the exact yes. same thing that you would get off of your satellite box, but it's just coming through a the internet now instead of a coax or a satellite dish sitting on your roof, right? Yeah. So let's talk about this side of it. So the just the movie experience, right? Let's talk about big picture here. Oh, I know where you're going with this. So do you... You go to the movie theater, let's say, like, okay, I went to the movie theater twice this weekend, and I saw Lego Batman, and I saw John Wick 2. Mm-hmm. I think that cost me... Between me and the two, or the, me and my wife and the two kids, it was like thirty-five bucks for just the tickets because we went in like the matinee and got a good deal on that sort of right. stuff. When I went and saw John Wick, I saw it in the first show of the morning. It cost me six dollars, so right. I spent forty dollars to see two movies myself. For my own personal self, I spent what seventeen, right? So, are we moving to a world where? need to go to the movie theater or is this going to keep going like streaming wise where like is it can you see a world where you can have a subscription to current movies by that i mean like let's say you pay 25 dollars a month and you get access to all the movies that come out in the movie theater mm-hmm. uh for that month i think that is the holy grail of, of this whole discussion i, I think the the conversion of the delivery mechanism from cable box and subscription to one giant behemoth package to individual a la carte is kind of a stepping stone. Uh, to me, the holy grail is being able to have a subscription to AMC or Regal or Arclight or any of the Cinemark or whoever these guys are because they're distribution mechanisms, right? Yeah. The, the fact that they're giving you a theater with a big screen is irrelevant at a a certain extent. That's just a luxury. My my point is, I think that if they figure out how to distribute films to the home, this could become a big boon for not only the theater industry, but also the the studio industry. Let me tell you why this is, this is the important part. Um, There are about, I I would guesstimate eight to 10 films across all studios that come out per month. Big ones. Yeah. 
bigger ones. There's a lot more films that come out per month, but big theater releases, nationwide theater releases, eight to ten films roughly, right? Sure, like two a week. I'm not going to go to the movies theater to see every single one of those. No. Right? Unless I'm a, a reviewer making 250 a year. That's my job, and I write blogs, and I do podcasts about movies. Man, that sounds like a really good dream job. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the point is, is that um, I would... I am a I would consider myself an above average movie consumer. Sure, I watch a ton of movies. Most of them are on Netflix, Hulu, old copy, digital copies. I've got. I, if they gave me the ability for, let's say, fifty bucks a month, let's let's go on the high end. Okay, to give me the ability to watch same day or day after release in the movie theater, I could watch them at home. I would watch every single one of those, and then and AMC's still going to get their money. The studios are still going to get their money. The difference is they're going to get more viewership because I'm going to consume more of your content, and that should be what the moral, uh, or that should be what the studios are after. They should want more people to consume more of their content. It's not about ad sales or anything like that. It's not about concessions or any of that for the theaters. To me, it's they, the the end game for everybody should be consume all the contents. Okay, so I disagree with you on one part of that. So I, I do like the idea of like an AMC or a Regal or a, or a, or a uh, ArcLight or an I, you can't do IMAX, but um, uh, app. But I, there's no way that a studio would just like release their movies to just be released digitally through those other theater distributors or distributors. That wouldn't happen. I think what would have to happen for if you were, there was an AMC app that you would be able to watch same day stuff is they would have to like be able to entice you to say like okay. You get $50 a month and you can watch all of these movies. Plus, for an extra 25 you can actually go in and watch two of these movies in the theater. And you would like you would have some sort of something or other. That gets you in the movie theater. That gets you to buy popcorn. Because there's certain movies of, of the, of let's say, the 10 that you're talking about that come out each month. Two of those, or even one of them, let's say, or during the summer, three of those to four of those, you want to see on a big screen with the big sound and with all of that kind of thing, right? Yep. That's where... That's true. But then maybe they have. So you're talking about like a a almost like a season pass, yeah, where you can watch them at home or in the theater, whatever you choose. Or maybe, or maybe didn't AMC try this? I don't know. They tried a monthly subscription thing where you could go see as many movies as you wanted for certain twenty five bucks a month. Maybe if they if they didn't, I'm I'm coming up with a new idea for it. Okay, yeah. So my idea would be you don't get to watch it at home. Like let's say okay, uh, episode eight. Right. Yes. Episode eight comes out in the movie theater. And if you go see that movie once in the movie theater and you go in and, and, and as part of the subscription, you can now watch it at home. You don't get to watch it at home until you go see it in the theater. Certain ones. Does okay. that make sense? Yes. So they at least get your and, and you're almost kind of like paying for what would have been the digital release of it at the same time. Uh, kind of. Yeah, you see what I'm getting the at? The digital release comes usually with an additional sale above and beyond the movie ticket in a DVD or Blu-ray format right so, so that, now you're removing a re- revenue stream that wouldn't work so maybe it's okay so maybe it's the reverse of that maybe it's fifty dollars a month to go to the movie theater and see one movie and then whatever movie you go see you then own digitally maybe it's that interesting proposition maybe yeah, it's that I maybe can it's see that. that so instead of you having to pre-order something or whatever you would have some but then it, then it gets to the whole thing of like well do you own it on amazon or do you own it on this or is it you know what i'm saying but i don't think it's an amazon or a netflix or any of those kind of things it's an app it's another service that is done by the theaters they're just distributing it across a different medium I like the idea that there could even be a completely autonomous a la carte thing where I can almost like I'm loading up a Netflix for what's currently in the cinemas. Oh, that'd be cool. That's that's kind of what I envision, except it's an AMC app or a Regal app or whatever I subscribe to. Right? Yeah, Let's just stick with AMC because there's the biggest one, right? Sure. 
Um, we have an AMC app on our Apple TVs. We click our login. We have our monthly subscription, whatever, and it shows us what's currently playing in theaters, maybe even in our geo, right? It's limited to whatever the distribution network is, right? Okay. Same thing that would be applied there. And we can pick through those, and we click play, and it does its thing, and we just watch the movies. It's, it's that simple. But I think there's a bigger picture there that you kind of triggered in my head where it was like, okay, well, maybe if I pay an additional $15 a month on top of that, I can then get almost like a season pass to go in and watch any of the movies in the theater if I want to. So now instead of paying um, the subscription play, price plus whatever my ticket price would be at the box office – to go in and see the movie, maybe that's part of that's inclusive. Maybe you put these packages together. I think that would be really, really smart. It would be really modern. It would be a great way to get more people, more butts in seats. Yeah, is I, really what that comes down to. I think ultimately the the people that are going to be the most against our idea that we like, which it's going to be the movie theater industry. They need people to come in the doors and buy the concessions. That's Absolutely. how they make their money. Um, or maybe, but the, in an indirect way, wouldn't you say that this might do that for them to watch movies at home? Absolutely not. No, I mean, if you had some kind of subscription package where you could watch them at home, sure, but maybe the big tent poles for the super geeks like us would still want to go see something, and you pay your $8 upcharge for 3D IMAX to go see, for example, yeah. right? But Just to play that out. Maybe it's, maybe it's and again, this is, this is actually kind of fun. Maybe it's that we have to go to the movie theater twice. In order okay. to in order to get the option to watch all the other things, that sounds like that Columbia or BMG <laughs> yeah. CD service, yeah. right? You'd, yeah, or they're going to charge you like a hundred and fifty bucks yeah. instead of the fifty dollars if you don't go see two yeah. movies. Twelve CDs for a dollar, right? <laughs> I, I got I got caught in that uh, a long time ago. I think the big thing that gets missed out on this, uh, and again, this is all streaming and getting movies and getting things quickly. But I think the whole thing that gets missed out on this, whether it's Netflix, whether it's all of these networks, if cable. Uh, delivery to set top boxes completely disappears, which is where I think this is going. That this is all going to be internet based and app based a uh, lot sooner than we think. Yes, absolutely, and it's already started. Um, I think the main thing that that needs to be figured out is the advertising. Mm. And there's yes, you can pay to get your uh, your ads eliminated on Hulu. Obviously, Netflix doesn't have any ads, um, but a lot of the ads for network programming, that's what basically pays for all of those pays shows and movies to get made. Not necessarily movies, but for shows, for sure. So where does that come from? No, it pays salaries. It pays for jobs. Yeah. It pays benefits and all. It's a definite revenue stream uh, is, is this advertising. I definitely think there are alternative methods. Uh, I'm not going to go on a rant about my views on advertising, but I, I think there are ways that they can make up that money through a la carte sales, in-app purchases, all of the, there's all kinds of possibilities that they could do to replace those or enhance those revenue streams, such as what Hulu's done. I yeah. think Hulu has the best solution for it. You can pay $8 and see ads, or you can pay $12 and not see ads. That $4 per subscriber adds up really quickly to the millions of people that they have that are Hulu subscribers, and you're getting that month after month after month. And I, I think that could generally replace it, but... I think you have – you brought up a good point about the local advertising that I think is worth mentioning. Yeah. So uh, we, we were talking about this before we we came up with this idea. It was like, okay, yeah, so like, let's say all the ads disappear and it's all like Hulu-based or whatever. Um, when you watch shows now on or, – or ads, if there are ads on Hulu, if you have the ad-based one, or if you're watching DirecTV now and you see like the commercials in between the programs, none of that stuff is like the local – like go down to Jerry's Pontiac and get a new Pontiac. And then, <laughs> like the guy would like, I got this great deal. Like those don't exist. It's all the national ads. So how do the local 
companies advertise on stuff like this in this new world? I don't have the answer to that. I don't know what the answer to that is, but that's just something to think about. I think it needs to evolve away from television advertising. I think it is starting to. We're seeing more and more digital advertising on websites through Google AdWords, Facebook advertising. Facebook advertising, if you're not doing that with a professional advertising house that knows how to target the demographic you want to reach and the geo you want to reach, you're missing out big. You will hit more people with Facebook advertising tenfold than you ever will with a television commercial, and it'll cost you pennies on the dollar compared to what you would spend on a television commercial, right? Good point. So I I don't think it's as big of a deal. I just think it's an education that that the industry has to do and and move people forward. Look, I I think to tie this all up, it's, it's a matter of what are we why is the streaming thing taking off the way that it is how do we really want people to 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 take this away because i've i've been at this for the better part of 4 years now with with no cable i i understand that i was an early adopter and i've gone through a lot of the struggles and it's second nature to me i did order direct tv now and as a quick little aside i all i did when i turned it on was channel flip I just slid through the guide and I never actually watched anything. And I went back to Hulu because I know that my show is there that I want to watch. There you go. And it's interesting how conditioned, how easy it is to become conditioned to be that way. And I think there's a big resistance to people that are used to channel surfing that don't understand just all on demand all the time. It is a completely different experience and a lifestyle when you don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time to watch a show. I'm only a couple of months in and it's all about just kind of like retraining your brain. But once you kind of retrain your brain, you realize that you just want to watch what you want to watch. It's very simple. Oh yeah. So tonight, all we wanted to do is just kind of give you a basic idea of just streaming and where we think it could go. Um, we've been preaching cord cutting, but here's the thing. Cord cutting is happening. Whether you like it or not, all of these things are going to go into streaming sort of video and your cable and your satellite stuff is going to disappear. <laughs> and a lot sooner than you think. For some uh, for some fun stuff this week, uh, Elon Musk came out, or The Verge put an article out interviewing <laughs> Elon Musk, that, where he said, Here this we go. is crazy, Elon Musk thinks that humans need to become cyborgs or risk irrelevance. <laughs> What's he up to now? I, I have had this speculation for a while that eventually we would have chips in the side of our heads. What? Literally implants, much like the cochlear implants that you see like uh, deaf kids get. Okay. Right, right? okay. It goes directly into their brain. Uh, but then you could get like a retina-based heads-up display. So like, like Google glasses, but just in your eyeball? Just in your, in your retina. No glasses, no hardware, right? Okay. That could eventually replace the need for a smartphone. Okay. Right? If you think about it in that respect. So like an email would just like come across your screen? Like, uh, okay. All right. It would yeah, just yeah. show up in your, in your line of sight. So he thinks vision. this is going to happen? I, I don't know what... Look, here, I'm going to quote him on a couple of things because this is he's good. He's forward thinking. Over time, I think we will probably see a close merger of biological intelligence and digital intelligence. Right? Okay. It's mostly about the bandwidth, the speed of the connection between your brain and the digital version of yourself. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Particularly output. And, right. and just my oh, my literal head explode. Uh, the other part here is that the hope is that in not too many years, human brains and computing machines will be coupled together very what? tightly. Oh, that's creepy. Oh, that is super Skynetty. Um, yeah, I listen. So that will lead us into our lightning round. Elon thinks we're gonna we need to be more like cyborgs. Uh, I would say okay, let's come up with the top things that you would want to have a robot do for you. Laundry, go. Laundry. 
You don't like laundry, I take it. No, laundry. Laundry? Laundry. That's it. Uh, yard work. Do you do yard work now? No, but uh, I don't want to cut the grass. I'm just I'm speaking for for the, the grand. Uh, oh, like, okay, yeah. yeah. Yard work, uh, taking out the trash, bringing the trash cans back, uh, washing the dishes. Washing the dishes. Washing, no, no, washing the dishes, even if you have a dishwasher. If you have to like scrub out like the pots mm. and like there's a bunch of grease in them. Yeah. Cleaning the grill. Uh, go to work for me. <laughs> do my job for me. How about take your empty boxes out? <laughs> yes, you could take all my empty, take my garbage out. How there about changing go. the discs on your PS4? No. That you don't like to get up and change your no, discs? I, I, no? It could get up and hand me a controller <laughs> off of the charging station. All right. So I don't have to get out of the chair. And I would truly realize my potential as a character in Wally. <laughs> there you go. Uh, make me food. You could have one that is actually a trained chef. Uh, uh, it, the intelligence of a chef and to know how to season and cook properly. Yeah, but I'm I'm uh, I'm too much of a, like a cook that I like to I like to do my own thing. But okay, I don't think I could release control on that. I'm but, all uh, about eating the food. I, okay, I'm not, I've right. never been a big into preparing. You food. know me. I like to like really like get yeah. in on, on that. Oh, what about this? What about driving you and picking you up, dropping you off and picking you up from work? That would what be okay. What if you had a not an autonomous vehicle? Because that could be considered a robot as sure, well. Sure, sure. But it drops you off at work and it goes home and parks itself in the garage. Fine and then that. it comes and picks you up when you push a button on your phone, much like you do for Uber to come pick you up. What's stopping them from creating something that is your own car? Only if it is. Your back car. Oh, yes. Only if it is Michael Caine as Alfred. <laughs> yes, I will do that. And if, you, and, and if he calls me, Mr. Wayne, would you like to go to... I work today. Yes, I, <laughs> well, would, yes, Alfred. I would. Yes, I would, Alfred. <laughs> well, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, definitely check out the Facebook page, Orbital Jigsaw. You're going to see all of the links over the next couple of days come up from this show onto the Facebook page. We would give us a like and uh, let us know what you think. Please drop us a comment, and we'll definitely engage with you guys there. Love getting into those discussions. Uh, I'm Nick Howell. You can find me over on Twitter at Data Center Dude. And I'm Andy Nelson. You can find me at AndyNelson76, also on Twitter. And again, if you see the links to the show, like the things we just talked about, and you have an opinion about it, literally in the comment section, tell us your opinion, and we'll talk about it next week. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this week, guys, and we will see you next time. Later. Bye. This show is part of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. For more episodes, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. For details and show notes from each episode, check us out, orbitaljigsaw.com.